Thank you for choosing this Father's Day to join us. Uh, things uh, look a little bit different. We've revamped a couple of things. I don't know if you've been keeping track. We've had you memorize a couple of numbers uh, recently. We have since made that a little bit easier. So if you are visiting with us, we do have Connect cards in the back. So if you're one of the hard copy type of people, you got to write it down. Go ahead and do that. They're, they're back there in the back, and you can drop it in the offering bucket as you leave today. Uh, but we have a digital connect card, all right? If you will text North Connect to the number 31996, it will connect you to our uh, connect card. There you can let us know that you're visiting with us. We have a gift, by the way, that we want to give you if this is your first time with us. Um, we have a gift for you, but you can let us know that you're visiting with us. You can let us know uh, that... Uh, you, you can let us know a decision if you make a decision later on today uh, in our service. You can let us know that as well. If you've got prayer requests for us, we want to know how to pray for you. Uh, join the ministry team. That, that Connect card is kind of a catch-all for all that stuff. Also, for our giving, you'll hear this later, um, but 31996 is now the number for giving as well. Uh, you'll text the phrase, North Give, and you can do our text to give uh, option there. So we made a couple changes I wanted to let you know about. Uh, but as well, I talk, thought, thought through Father's Day. You know, it comes in every calendar year, and as a pastor, I've never preached a Father's Day message. Never have. Never, never filled a pulpit for somebody on Father's Day. That's typically a big hitter that the pastors come and they're a part of. So uh, as I was looking at our first Father's Day, I started thinking about ways to set it up. Like, how, how, what would be the best introduction I could think of, right? And, and I just thought, man, it is so like North just to do something unconventional. So today, uh, we're going to set up our message today with some good old-fashioned dad jokes. Does that sound all right to y'all? Is that good for y'all? We've got two men in every service that is going that are going to come, and they are going to dad joke battle right here in front of you. Does that sound good? So if I can get Ben Bryan and Keith Clark to come on up. We got some dads that are locked and loaded and ready to go. All right? Now, we've got to fit this in 45 minutes, y'all. See, I'm going to have to get on up. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the slow walk of shame up to the... The, the podium. Y'all use this right here. This is your battleground right here. So you get on one side. Are y'all going, are you, you don't have, do you have anything written down? Oh, okay. I was going to say it's just all in your heart, man. That's, that's good. All right. So the way this works is, now here's the deal. When I battle with dad jokes, I like my own jokes, so I'm going to probably laugh at them. All right. So you're not going to be counted off because this is, I get to call the rules. So don't worry about laughing about your own jokes, but your goal is to make the other person laugh. If you make the other person laugh, you get a point. At the end of five rounds, whoever wins gets to be declared superior father for the day. All right? <laughs> Completely arbitrarily. All right? Okay, so let's start. Mr. Keith, you got the mic? You ready to go? All right, lay it on us. Let's see what you got. By the way, I'll laugh at all of them. What has four wheels and flies? A garbage truck. <laughs> that's that's true. It's true. What's brown? What's brown and sticky? Hmm. I don't know where this is going. I don't know. A stick. <laughs> <laughs> Did I see? Oh, oh, man! <laughs> he he choked it back. He choked. Okay, I'm, that was a good save. I'm gonna give it to you. What will the Secret Service yell if the president is attacked? 
Donald Duck. I've lost this game. I lost it last service. I'm losing it now. Do you know what the pirate paid for his earrings? No. About a buccaneer. (laughs) (laughs) Man, I'm sorry. It it makes it harder when the person that's moderating it is laughing. I apologize. Continue. What did the horse say when he had fallen? Help. I can't giddy up. You have six eyes, two mouths, and three ears. What are you? Ugly. Ugly. (laughs) You're ugly. Same idea. What do you call a seagull when it flies over a bay? A bagel. That's good. What did the janitor say when he popped out of the closet? The janitor. Mm-hmm. What is that? I don't know. Supplies. <laughs> Man, y'all are great. Is this five? Has this been five rounds? One more. One more. One more. One more piece. This is your last chance. Big if, guns. If Alan were a pastor in Germany, what would he be called? A German shepherd. Oh, I like that. I'm going to Germany. What did the nut say when it was chasing the other nut? I'm a cashew. <laughs> Okay, all right, Ty, well done. Holy cow. Here you go, take that back. Thank you. (laughs) I'm a cashew. (laughs) Man, those were good ones, Ben. I like them, man. All of them, man, that's good. All right, I love that. I love my church. All right, I will say my favorite one is this. Y'all know the difference between uh, people from Dubai and people from Abu Dhabi? People from Dubai, they 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 don't really like the Flintstones. But boy... The people from Abu Dhabi do. <laughs> All right. Lord have mercy. Turn in your Bible. Second Samuel chapter 11. Second Samuel chapter 11. Did I do better on that delivery there? Appreciate that, Will. Thank you. I've had two reps at it. The third one's going to kill. All right. <clears throat> if you got your Bibles, we are in our second, ser- second week of our series, Family Matters. Uh, we are looking at fathers, and uh, we're looking at the life of King David, uh, and, and, and to see a man that God used mightily, but to see how God used him. Now, when we talk about, when you look at a Father's Day message, all right, the, the, the inclination is to only focus on the fathers, but I, and, and I want you to know that that is my intent today. I, I want to challenge the men in this room. I want the men to see God's men rise to the occasion of spiritual leadership. But this goes for everybody in this room. The, the, the 
things and the, the truths that we're going to be sharing today, they go for everybody. Ladies, men, and, and, and I understand that everybody comes from different family structures and, and your family may look different. They're single household parents and uh, all of these different things may be a part of your family construct. And so understand, when I say this to fathers, I'm encouraging and edifying the entire church. But what I've got is I've got three phrases, three things, three truths that if you as a dad, you as a mom, you as a child, if you will apply to your life, I promise you, you and the people that you lead will be completely different. And so in 2 Samuel chapter 11, the first thing that we see is it is not about perfection. The truth that you and I need to hear, every dad in this room, every mom in this room need to hear, every person in this room, is it is not about perfection because Satan's a punk. And Satan will, when we sin, right, there is temptation, right, that that God allows, that, that there's temptation in our life, right? And then when we sin... God, uh, Satan spends the rest of the time beating us up about the sin that's in our life. That's how you can always know, by the way, if the conviction in your life is the Holy Spirit or not. Because the Holy Spirit's never going to reconvict you for something that's under the blood. Right? Something that's been forgiven, that's the enemy trying to destroy you, trying to give you guilt and shame and to ride you with that and to saddle you with that so that you're less effective. But it's not about perfection. We're going to study a man today who made profound errors. But in Acts chapter 13, Scripture still regards him in light of the gospel. So the book had been written on David and it still calls him a man after God's own heart. But to understand that, we need to understand it's not about perfection. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. We're going to be in 2 Samuel for most of the day, and we'll be flipping back and forth to Psalms 51 if you want to go there as well. But listen to what it says in verse 1. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. Right there, we could stop and we could preach a whole message about men needing to be where they need to be. Our country is in the shape that it's in because men have not taken upon themselves the opportunity and the responsibility to be the leaders that are at the point positions in our country, in our families, anywhere today. David, as king, should have been leading his armies, but he wasn't. He was at home. And listen, because he was out of place, listen to how susceptible he was to temptation. In verse 2, And it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. What's her name? Bathsheba. I would... I would suggest to you that this was David's second giant. One that he didn't fare as well with. He defeated Goliath handily, but I believe he struggled with his second giant, with Bathsheba. Listen to what it says in verse 4. So David sent messengers and he took her, and she came to him and he lay with her. Then she returned to her house. Here's what we know about Bathsheba. She was married to Uriah the Hittite. 
a mighty man in, God, in, in Israel's army. And we know that this is adultery. This is outside of marriage. This is, this is adultery that, that David willfully commits with Bathsheba. And so he's, he's an adulterer, but that's not where the story ends. Because Bathsheba becomes pregnant. And so in order to hide his sin, he, he, makes, he, tries, to, he tries to finagle things to try to save face, to try to make it look like Uriah is the father. That didn't work out. So ultimately, in order to cover his sin, he gives the military strategic order to leave Uriah the Hittite in the middle of battle and to watch him be killed. He, in fact, murdered Uriah the Hittite. Not only did David make mistakes, not only was he an adulterer, but he, was, he is now a murderer according to 2 Samuel chapter 11. You see, but David understood something. It's not about perfection. How in the world can God take a man who is an adulterer and a murderer and have him called in his book, in his God-breathed word, that he is a man after God's own heart? Because church, it's not about perfection. Now, that's not an excuse for us to continue to sin because we're not perfect. All of us have blown it. What I want this to be to you is a breath of fresh air. No matter what you've done, no matter how you've screwed up, I want you to know God has redeemed, can redeem your past and He can give you a future. You can't start over, but you can start today. It's not about perfection. It's about pursuit. For us in our relationship with God, as spiritual leaders of our homes, as men, as women, it is about the pursuit of God over perfection. Listen what Psalms 51. Psalms 51, if you've got in your Bibles, turn to Psalms 51. We'll be here twice. We're going to flip back and forth. To Psalms 51 and 2 Samuel. But in Psalms 51, there's a very important little note that's written at the top of most Bibles, written at the top of mine. It says, To the choir master of David, a song of David, written after he t- spoke with Nathan. After his sin with Bathsheba and Nathan had confronted him, or something like that, that this was the song that David wrote. This was his repentance for his sin. Listen what it says in Psalms 51.10. How could David be called a man after God's own heart? Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your parents, uh, from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing Spirit. David said, God, I have done wrong. Purge me, clean me. Elsewhere in Psalms 51, he says, Create in me a new heart. Give completely, do away with the old. Give me a new heart. Restore to me a steadfast spirit. I I don't want to fall into this temptation again. Give me your direction. Let me live for you in your on the screens. It's the pursuit of perfection that brings about progress in our lives. 
It is the pursuit of perfection that brings about progress in our lives. Now, I have two kids, two, two boys. I got a little girl, younger little girl, but I got two boys that are in ball. I am officially a baseball dad. All right. I try to help out when I can, try to coach when I can. Uh, but I've got two boys that are in usually at two different places at two different times, especially during COVID season, which is 18 games in two weeks. Holy cow. All right. But I was reminded of the progress that my son, my oldest son, has made in baseball yesterday. And it wasn't so much that he did well, because he did. But because right across the little walkway from us, my five-year-old was playing. My son has come a long way. My, eight, my eight-year-old has come a long way. Cooper has come a long way in, in baseball. Hudson, he's a work in progress. Um, he, he did fine. He did, does great. But as I look at the two of them, and the amount of time that Cooper spent practicing and the seasons that he has under his belt and my son, we all heard our coach say, practice makes perfect. Have we not? Now, we know that we'll never be perfect. But I look at Cooper, who has multiple years of ball under his belt, and I look at Hudson, and I see what my coach was getting at. Even though, my son, even though neither of my sons will ever be perfect, because of the amount of time the oldest one has put in, he's much closer to perfection than his younger brother. And that's the point of following Christ. Perfection, we don't have to sin. You need to hear that, by the way, as a believer. You don't have to sin. There's no excuse for it. You don't have to sin because God's Holy Spirit's inside you. You're called to be different. You're made new. If you're a believer, you don't have to sin. But we do sin when we allow a rupture in our relationship with God, when we put ourselves on the throne of our life temporarily. And we ignore God and His commands, right? And so sin is a reality for us, but we don't have to sin. But it's that pursuit of perfection. It's that every day growing into the, in a relationship with Christ that I look more like Jesus today than I did yesterday. The reason why God called David a man after his own heart was because David understood the progress that he needed to make when he was found at rock bottom. God, I want to start all over. Create in me a clean heart. I want to do this all over again. I desire whatever you do, don't take your presence from me. So it's not about perfection, men. It's about a pursuit. How adamantly do you pursue things of God? Secondly, it's not about being appreciated. God made men and women completely different. There's books written about it, secular and Christian. But when a woman meets another woman for the first time, they, they, their conversation looks fundamentally different than us guys. Does it not? Women immediately start asking things like, hey, tell me a little bit about your family. How'd you grow up? You know, my wife, when she meets you, she, in a short conversation, knows your name, knows your kids' names, knows your pets' names, knows your social security number, knows your date of birth, knows everything. She knows everything about you. Why? Because she's relational. God made her that way. And she's focused on relationships. She wants to know more about you as a person. When men meet each other for the first time, 
What's the number one question? What do you do? So what do you do? Why? Because men are hardwired by God. This is, by the way, by God. We are created for a desire to achieve. That's the way God built it. It's why a little girl, when she look, you face her in front of a mirror, she's going to check her dress and make sure she looks pretty in her bows. And what's a boy going to do eventually? You leave her alone long enough, he's going to transform into a G.I. Joe and he's going to start shooting at the mirror and things. We're just completely different. God's made us completely different. But with this idea of wanting to achieve and wanting to accomplish that God has placed within man is also a desire to be appreciated and respected. Because of what I've done, the, the, the whole basis of, hey, what do you do, is because we derive a certain amount of respect for the man based on what he does. That's why we ask the question. Now, we may not think that's what we're doing, but that's what we're doing. And so, there's an appreciation that comes with it. Men, if you are to live a godly life, you have to shift the focus off of desiring for people to appreciate you. You've got to be willing to switch that focus from a, a, a hard-lined desire for respect and you need to focus it elsewhere. Because in 2 Samuel chapter 12, turn over, we're going to come back to Psalms 51. But in 2 Samuel chapter 12, if there was ever a man that deserved to be recognized and appreciated for his achievement, it was King David. King David had done things that no king had ever done before him. Listen to some of his accomplishments. By the time David, by this time, by verse, by chapter 12, David had beaten Goliath. He had beaten the Philistines. He had returned the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. He had defeated Moab. He had defeated the Syrians and the Edomites. And 2 Samuel, just in case that wasn't enough, 2 Samuel 18 says, whatever, whatever David did, God gave him victory. So if David showed up, guess what was coming with him? Victory, baby. A W was come was in the wind column. You had a tally in the wind column if David showed up. Everywhere he went, he was granted victory. But when Nathan comes to David, he doesn't come with attaboys. And he doesn't come with encouragement. He comes with something completely different. Listen to what 2 Samuel 12, 1 says. And the Lord sent Nathan. That's important. The Lord sent Nathan. To David, And he came to him and he said to him, There were two men. Here's a story, right? In a certain city there was a rich man and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and which he brought up, and it grew with him and with his children. It used to eat of, the, of his morsel and drink from his cup, and it laid, it laid in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler, a guest, to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock of the herd to prepare for the guest who would come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb, and he prepared it for the man who had come to him. That's not, that's, that's cold. That's cold. Got all these lambs, all, this, all these things I can prepare, and I'm going to take yours because I don't want to surrender any of mine. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives... I see this playing out. You, just, you can just see this in your mind's eye. As the Lord lives, this, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, David, you're the man. Hey, big boy. I know you're appreciated in your big old fortress. 
up here high and lifted up in Jerusalem. I know you're not at battle like you need to be. But I want you to understand, you're the man. You're the one who took the one woman that Uriah the Hittite had. You had him murdered so that you could take her for yourself and you could save face, right? Because ultimately that was the problem, right? She was pregnant. So that was the problem. He didn't want to lose face. He didn't want to lose the appreciation that all the country had for him. This was King David. No way that he would fall to something like this. And because he desired to be appreciated above anything else, he sinned. And Nathan called him on it. It is not about being appreciated, men. It's about being held accountable. You may tell you why I believe so many men in the church are absent. Why so many men in the church just come, just come, and they just, they're, they're here, and we're doing good just to get them here, right? Do we know what, you won't understand why so many programs are having to be run by women. I'm not talking about North. I, I actually think we have a lot of men that are doing a lot of great things. I think it also is because we were set up in tear down and we needed some of your muscles, right? But here's, but, but legitimately, the reason why so many men are not doing anything for the kingdom of God is because they've refused to find people to hold them accountable for the ways that they struggle. And so when they struggle, because they don't have anyone to hold them accountable, they don't want anyone to know about it, and so they just struggle with it forever. And they're afraid that anything they do in the church would be do nothing but open the door and open eyes to what they actually struggled with. They refuse to find accountability. That's why you've heard me say, and you'll continue to hear me say, don't tell me you hate sin if you're not willing to find accountability for that sin. Because you care more about being appreciated, loved, and respected than you care about where you are in your relationship with the Lord. You are, you are putting on a good face, but inwardly you are wicked. This is the sin of David. It's not about being appreciated. It's about being held accountable. Listen to what 2 Samuel twelve thirteen says. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. David repented. Now that's easy to say. And we look at that and we go, that's easy to say. But we've got to understand what David actually did. Listen to this on the screen. The standard of godly masculinity requires that we value repentance before God over our reputation before others. If we're about being men and we're about doing the difficult thing that's hard to be done, is it easier to save face or is it easier to, or is it more, is it easier to save face or is it easier to get somebody to hold you accountable for ways that you struggle and to let someone in on your problems? Now you ask yourself that, men. The reason why women have far eclipses is because they don't mind. They're relational. They don't mind sharing their struggles. Ad nauseum. I'm just kidding. They, they don't mind. They don't mind letting people know. But us men, we hold it in and we'll always be limited. The more that we continue to hold in, we'll always be limited spiritually. Because it's not about appreciation, it's about accountability. But that's easy to say that, David, I've sinned. But listen what else he did. Go back to Psalms 51. Psalms 51 says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Verse 12. And uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. And sinners will return to you. Can I ask you a question? What was David's strategy for telling transgressors to get back to God? You know what it was? He had to tell them what he did. Go back. The beginning of this chapter. Psalms 51. 
to the choir master a song of David. You know what David did with his sin? He put it in a hymn book. He said, I don't care about who knows it because I'm going to use what God has done in my life. The grace that God has shown me, I'm going to share it with whoever and whomever would desire to hear it. He plastered that thing in a songbook and the people of Israel sang songs about David's infidelity, David's adultery, and David's act of murder day after day after day. Why? Because David cared more about his integrity and who he was before God than he cared about what everyone else thought. Men, it's not about appreciation. It's about being held accountable. And it wasn't just Nathan holding David accountable anymore. The entire nation of Israel got to hold David accountable for his sin from them on out. It's incredible. It's repentance. Mm. Thirdly and finally, it's not about fame. You see, with the same achievement mindset comes a desire for people to know our name, a people to recognize what we've done, and people to appreciate it. And there's a lot of times and a lot of men that we seek fame. I'll be honest with you. My son played a good game the other day, yesterday. And it felt real good as a dad. Now, you dads can lie about it if you want. But I know that there are times that I'm tempted to live vicariously through my kids. All right? You can lie about it if you want, but I'm just telling you it happens. All right? And so my kid had a good game, and I just walked out of there. I'm feeling pretty good. <laughs> yeah, that's all that practice we put in. You know, like, I'm feeling good about myself, right? I wanted people to know, yeah, man, Cooper can play some ball, right? And his dad knows what he's doing a little bit. You know, like, I, I wanted that. I had that in my mind and in my head, and I was struggling with that. I was wrestling with that. But it's not about our own fame. In 2 Samuel chapter 23, we find the final words of King David. The final words. It's amazing to me to see how King David addresses his people for the last time. In verse 1 it says, in 2 Samuel 23, Now these are the last words of David, the oracle of David. This guy's building him up, right? The oracle of David, the son of Jesse, the oracle of a man who was raised on high, the anointing of God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel. Boy, that's an introduction right there. Jacob, or Joseph, work on that for me, all right? Just next introduction, just work on that, right? I mean, this dude is pumping him up. David's message is completely different. Church, men, women, it is not about yours or your family's fame. It's about finishing well. David finished well. Listen to this, verse 2. The Spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like the rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. For does not my house stand so with God? For he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. For... For will he not cause to prosper all my help and my desire? You know what David said? The last words he said to Israel, he said, Hey, 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 listen. Whatever you think of me, know that it's only because of God. The Spirit of God 
The word of God, the God of Israel has spoken, the rock of Israel. It's nothing about little old David. I was a ruddy little boy, the least of my household, but God chose me, and because he made an everlasting covenant with me, I am what I am today. It's nothing to do with me. It's everything to do with God. Church, you will spend your life only living for one name. At any given time in your life, you will only live for one name. It'll either be your own, it'll be to make you famous, it'll be to make you esteemed, it'll be to make you important, or it'll be to make the name that is above every other name more famous and more glorious. You can only live for one name. What I've been sharing with you today reminds me of a leadership principle called the law of the lid. If you know John Maxwell, you know the law of the lid. The law of the lid is simply this. Your leadership, your propensity, let me tell you what, let me just read it from my notes because I can do it a little better from that, all right? Your ability to lead is the lid that determines your level of effectiveness. Your ability to lead is the lid that determines your level of effectiveness. Every one of us in this, men, women, children, we have a lid of effectiveness. Your leadership determines the amount of effectiveness you have. And it's not just for you. It's for your companies, right? The, the company's never going to rise beyond the lid. It's your level of effectiveness. But listen, this goes beyond just a physical workplace, a secular workplace. Men, God has positioned you and your family to be the lid in that family. You are the standard setter for your home in every area, but especially spiritually. So many families, I believe, are so limited because the lid on their family is set so low. They're always, is your family bumping up against your spiritual leadership constantly? Or are you the standard that beckons the rest of your family to rise to your standard? Are you a lid in your home? Do you set the bar? Or do you allow your wife or your kids even to set the bar for you? God's called you to be greater. God's called you to not live for fame, but to finish well. You can't start over, but you can start from here. Be the man that God has called you to be. And so when you leave today, every dad in this room, if you want to bring one for your dad, I think we'll have enough. If you want to take one to your dad and explain this concept to him, have a little church at your get-together today. That'd be fine with me. In the bucket, in the back, as you leave, on the right-hand side, there's lids. They say, they say Father's Day 2020. They're magnets, and they're to be put somewhere prominent in your house to remind you as men to be the leader that God has called you to be in your home. Be that leader. Put it in a prominent place. Don't let just somebody hold you accountable. Let your whole family hold you accountable to that spiritual standard. And watch how God changes the culture around you. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Men, women, kids... We don't set a standard for spirituality unless we have a relationship with Jesus. 
So if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I want you to know whether you're a dad, whether you're a man, whether you're a a woman, a child, I want you to know that God loves you and he sent his son to die on the cross for you, making a way for you to have a relationship with him forever. And maybe through this challenge, you desire to be the leader that God's called you to be. Would you respond to him? Listen, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, man, you can't do it. You cannot do it. Would you be a leader? Would you set the tone for your family? Would you respond in obedience to him? There are counselors that are in the back of the room right now. If there's anybody that needs to have a relationship with Jesus, they need to begin a relationship with Jesus, you're the most important person in this room. There are counselors who would love to talk to you at a safe distance at six feet. They would love to talk to you about how you can have a relationship with Jesus. But maybe men, maybe you know that you need, you've needed to join this church for a while. Or another church, for that matter. But you know that you've needed to plug in somewhere so that you can be encouraged to lead your family the way that you need to be. So maybe obedience to you, maybe your decision needs to be to join our church. Maybe your decision needs to be to get your baptism in order, or to join a ministry team. Whatever it is, this invitation is for you. So nobody's looking around as there's counselors in the back of the room. Would you, would you just stand? Would you just respond? Would you stand and would you just walk to the back of the room? If you need to take your family with you, do that. But would you just stand and would you make a decision? Nobody's looking around. This is a safe place. Nobody's looking around. We've just got some music playing. This is between you and the Lord. If you need to make a decision to commit your life to Jesus, you need to make a decision, whatever that looks like, would you do it now? Would you do it today in this moment? Would you stand? Would you go to the back? There's counselors would love to talk to you. They'll take you the rest of the way. They'll handle it the rest of the way. Is there anyone? Is there anyone? Would you respond? There's another way to respond. I mentioned texting 31996 North Connect. If you would like to make a decision today, we had a family do it last week. If you'd like to make a decision today and you, for whatever reason you didn't move, you can mark whatever decision you'd like to make there on that Connect card and we'll follow up with you. We'll call you. But don't let the holy, don't let this moment pass without God doing something special in your life. Be that leader, be that lid, and watch what God does. Father, we love you and we praise you today. Thank you for what you've taught us through your word. Pray that you would be glorified and lifted up in everything that has been done and said and will continue to be said. Lord, your invitation never closes. Be with some that still need to respond in obedience to you, to this invitation. May they not leave this place without doing so. Father, we love you and we praise you. Thank you for all that you do for us. It's in your holy and precious name we pray.